Hey everybody, this is Ian Reed Twist at Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi. And uh, today's podcast sermon is preached by special guest Jenny Dara, who's a wonderful preacher and member of our congregation. It was preached on December 1st, the first Sunday of Advent, and the title is Emmanuel Everywhere. And the text is Matthew 24, 36 to 44. All right, enjoy. Back in the ancient days of late 1999, the end times were very trendy. Now, there was a very real possibility at the time that a computer glitch could have caused a lot of chaos around the world. But even besides that, the Left Behind books were very popular at the time. Survivalists were stockpiling food in their basements. People were expecting the rapture. Any minute now, probably on December 31st, God's chosen would be vacuumed up to heaven and not have to go through all the tribulation before the end of the world. Expecting, or maybe just hoping. Of course, no one got raptured. The computer programmers fixed the the error, and we all just went on with our normal lives on January 1st. No one was taken and everyone was left. The Christian portions of the Bible contain a whole lot about the end of the world, and a whole lot of people throughout these 2,000 years have tried to pinpoint the exact day and hour when Jesus would return. A quick online search brought me to a Wikipedia list of end of the world predictions. Since the year 70, there have been 154 predictions which got enough traction to be noticed. Of these, 15 were based on other religions, and 15 were based in non-religious reasoning. That leaves a whopping 124 end-of-the-world ideas specifically tied to Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. Some of these sprang out of genuine faith and the joy of the idea of being with Jesus, but others were cynical attempts to take advantage of the faith of others. Whatever the intent, every single one of these predictions has been wrong. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This has been built into our religion since the very start. It's pretty well accepted by scholars that Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is one of the oldest parts of the New Testament. It was written probably about 50 CE, or within a year or two of either side of that. Chapter 4 says that the believers, both those resurrected and those still alive, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then chapter 5, which has pretty similar wording to our reading from Romans today, that reminds the church that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So stay awake and be ready. We've been ready for our church to end pretty much since it started. (laughs) But consider the emotional state of those early followers of Jesus when they started writing things down. Everything's great and they have their Messiah and of course he'll be ruling Israel any second now. And then he gets arrested and crucified. But then he gets resurrected returned by God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And then he ascends. 
Jesus was taken, and they were left. How can you be ready for that? Then not even 40 years after the death of Jesus, the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish followers of Jesus had lost their central focus of worship, the house of God's name. The temple was taken, and they were left. How can you be ready for that? I do not personally believe that a physical rapture is going to occur. I think that all these descriptions and prophecies are somehow metaphorical. They involve speaking truth to power in some way, like a good prophecy should. And the writer's real intentions might never be understood by us in our very different culture this many years later. But I do believe that God uses the words of scripture to speak to us today. And there's deep metaphorical truth here, which has nothing to do with the literal. Matthew's gospel is full of instructions to the disciples, like its three companions are. It's full of miracles and promises that Jesus will return to bring peace and justice on earth, after a bunch of disaster, of course. But Matthew's writing comes from a much more Jewish perspective than the other three do. The destruction of the temple would have laid heavy on his heart. But does Matthew use his parchment to put words of retribution against Rome in the words of Jesus? Does he wallow in memories of destruction and thoughts of revenge? He most assuredly does not. Matthew's gospel starts and ends with two very specific promises of God's constant presence. He starts by quoting the prophet Isaiah in reference to the baby Jesus. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then at the very end after the resurrection, Matthew gives us one of the most comforting lines in the entire Bible. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Out of despair and loss, Matthew wrote these incredible promises for us. How could he find such hope in what must have seemed like the end of the world? With the physical Jesus and the stones of the temple only a memory, Matthew found Christ in the people around him. I was hungry and you gave me food, his Jesus says. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. There was Christ right there in the ordinary people doing what people have always done. And Matthew was able to find Jesus there. Matthew was able to keep his relationship with Jesus through his relationship to others around him. We don't know when the end of the world will come, whether it's the big Armageddon battle or our own personal death, but we know the end does come. We know we're somewhere in the middle of the story, which began when the resurrection so profoundly changed a connection between God and humanity. We eventually drop out and others carry on. And Jesus walks with us through all of it, in the hands of the person who feeds those who hunger, in the smile of the stranger you accidentally make eye contact with, 
in the person who sees you cry and offers a Kleenex and a quiet hand. We were never alone at all. Jesus came to bring us into full relationship with God, and the beginning of that is our relationship with the people around us. In just a few short weeks, the little baby Jesus will be in the manger to remind us of God's constant presence. A tiny, helpless baby to remind us of how very human the story of Jesus is. And through that connection between God and humanity, the presence of Jesus is with us and remains with us. So live your life fully and fearlessly. Live deliberately into your relationships with everyone around you, and from that, awaken into your relationship with God. That's how you get ready for the end, whenever that end might be. This is the promise of Emmanuel. This is the promise of the manger and the promise of the cross. This is the promise that Jesus is with us, even to the end of the age. Amen. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this week's sermon. And if you want more information about me or the church, you can always go to our website, Holy Cross Novi, that's N-O-V-I.org. And in the meantime, have a blessed week, and you can find more sermons as we publish them in the same place you found this one. Take care. <laughs>